Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You probably did backup vocals in your punk rock days, no? Yes, I did. In your cool days? <laughs> I did some I did some front up vocals too. You did? Hell yeah, dude. You had your own tunes? I'm a terrible singer, but yeah, my first band I sang in. Well, yeah, my first like real band. And then my last band I sang too, like I had like one or two songs that I wrote that I sang it as well. Uh what's your what's your style? I mean, you look like Billy Idol, but what's your <laughs> What's your voice? What's sound my singing like? style? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I'll send you some stuff. I'm working on some stuff right now, actually. With Vox? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I recorded, uh, before we shut down Rubber Tracks, I recorded some a bunch of tunes and I haven't, have, still haven't finished them. But I think I just had a great idea. <laughs> what? I mean, you know, we're a few episodes off, but once we get to like episode 350 or 375, 400, you know, the world might be semi put together back by then <laughs> or worse and podcasts don't even exist i mean who knows but if we get to one of those numbers and we do another live one can i get a <laughs> can i get some brad performance a little uh we'll see yeah i i well i won't say no right now we'll see i'll set the beat for you <laughs> you want big daddy to play drums for you i'll do it uh yeah we'll see we'll see what do you want from me? I see. I, I have a feeling if I met you in like 1987 or something, we were going to start a band together, and I was just some like, hey, "What's up, man?" kind of drummer. You would have made me like wear funny clothes or something. You probably, <laughs> you probably would have put me in like a cool late 80s blazer, some weird pants. My first band that I moved to New York with was actually had a lot more in common with like Hot Water Music than with. What I ended up getting oh, really? better known for. Yeah, we were really into like kind of roots, like alt country shit. We were into, uh, like a like an Uncle Tupelo fan. Yeah, we were more rockabilly, I think, you know, and but we were not trying to be rockabilly because that was kind of, you know, that was big in the 80s and it was kind of over when we were trying to happen. We were more into like, I don't know, like there was this band, Jason the Scorchers from Nashville. It was awesome. I used to like Georgia Satellites, but we didn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah? That's kind of my roots, dude, is that kind of music. Just Brad, you're like this mysterious unicorn to me. 
Because when I first got involved with the podcast, you know, I knew who Steven was. He'd interviewed me before. I knew who Jonah was because he did a Gaslight piece in Thrasher. So I met him like years before. And I'm like, ah, these are guys. And there's engineer guy. (laughs) And like the longer and longer we go and we peel back the onion. The more cred I get. (laughs) Not cred, but, you know, you've had a... You've had an interesting and fantastic life, buddy. I've had a long and illustrious career. <laughs> Listen, you've you've done a bunch of shit. You've seen a bunch of shit. You should feel good about it. You know? Oh, I do. Believe me, I have yeah. no re- no regrets, as they say. <laughs> Except, I mean, you should probably just buy a car one of these days. But besides for that, we have a car right now. I rented a car. You rented one. Yeah, yeah I've got a car for the month. That's why we need that Patreon, so you can buy a New York City parking spot Ugh. or something. <laughs> that part's not fun. No, Although I got to say, uh, with all these, you know, m- upper middle class white people escaping the city, there's actually parking in my neighborhood. Yeah, I'm one of them. That's a comp. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could call myself upper middle class. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was trying to but, figure out what I was going to say middle class. And I'm like, and I realized that like middle class in New York City, you can't own a car. You have to be you have to no, own more than no, that. No, no. Way more. Yeah. <laughs> You want to own a car in Manhattan, you're upper, upper. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know where to put myself, you know, because like, I, you know, everybody loves a classification. And, you know, there's been so many times in my life that I've been like, I've been lower class. I've been lower middle. I've been middle. I've even been middle upper once. My family had like a four year run when I was a kid that we were probably middle upper, I would say. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, then I just was basically homeless for like a decade. I'm not sure what what bracket that puts you in. And then like Gaslight has like four awesome years and all of a sudden I'm good again. <laughs> but then, you know, the minute it stops, you're fucked you straight know, back to the lower class. <laughs> yeah, well, the middle class used to be a pretty broad swath, dude. It was like, yeah. you know, there was like it was the sweet spot of American uh, society. And it could encompass quite a bit. That's true. I would have to call myself middle. I was definitely lower middle class until probably more recently. But and yeah, now? The qualifications in New York are totally different. You know, you realize like this fucking apart. I live in a two bedroom apartment. I've got one bathroom. Yeah. yeah. If I moved to fucking Kentucky, I would be upper, upper middle class in a mansion. I think people, I think people would be shocked to see like what you pay for in New York. Like if you I'm actually <laughs> went out to Kentucky and showed someone who paid a million dollars for their house, whatever the fuck that house looks like, you know, some, you know, palatial estate yeah. essentially in Kentucky, you probably have horses, I mean, you know, I say and, Kentucky, and if you, but I don't even have to go to Kentucky. We could do, you could just yeah, go, go to go Pennsylvania. To Pennsylvania. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have this thing. And then they, if you took that family and brought them to like a million dollar New York city apartment, and showed him like the shit bathroom <laughs> and the shit hallway and like like old baseboard heaters and radiators oh, yeah. and That's clangs and no air conditioning out of the window. And you're like, you spent a million fucking dollars on this? <laughs> like like why? What the sense does that even make? You know? Uh, it's pretty wacky, man. When I was looking for places around the best I heard, I was looking for a place. And I go to this, it's like literally a two-bedroom apartment being sold for, you know, $600,000 or something. Right. And 
I walk downstairs into what is supposed to be the main living area. It's just covered in water, you know, (laughs) and I've been living in like, you know, these places for long. Like, I know what water damage looks and smells like. You know what I mean? Like, it's got a very particular (laughs) smell that your nose becomes attuned to when you're used to mold. Right. And. And I walked downstairs, this realtor is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think they just mop down here. I just look at him like, motherfucker. Fucking realtors, dude. Are you serious? <laughs> like, are you? And I even I gave him one of these, like, looks. Like, I don't know if you can explain it, Brad. One of these, like, <laughs> like just threw an eyebrow up at him and was like, yo, homie, come on. Come on, come on. Dude, He's I, like, oh, may, all right, maybe not. I'm sorry. I'm I know like, there's some good ones, but after spending a couple of years shopping for apartments in New York, I have no fucking respect for realtors <laughs> at all. Dude, Crazy I walked game. into a fucking apartment one time that there ended up – this wasn't the first thing I saw. There ended up being actual feces on the wall in one of the bedrooms where they had had yeah. some fucking bird or something. Sure. But the first thing I see when I walk in is like open wiring. Like these, okay. like wiring like you know, fucking taped together running along the baseboard and it was electrical wiring. And I look oh, at it and I kind of have this look on my face and the realtor, this very pretty young woman – steps up to me she goes oh don't worry about that about that he he's actually the the tenant is actually on the maintenance department so it's it's probably oh. safe and i oh. literally i said i blurred i if i had had water i would have done a spit take i said what why did you tell me that <laughs> I was like, he's on the maintenance department i'm not gonna move into this fucking co-op <laughs> and also he's yeah. on the maintenance department thank you for shaking all of my confidence in the checks and balances of the maintenance department yeah, exactly. at the same time. That was yeah. ba- that's basically what I was saying when I said, why would you tell me that? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So. It's amazing what they do. I mean, literally, I've been watching Jersey City throw up these 30, 40 story condos, you know, like charging half a million dollars minimum for each place inside right. of them. Uh, and they're literally built on top of like wooden irrigation systems from like Ooh. the late 19th century and you know i'm serious i know i know i like, always like think the, about that when i look at the these underbellies areas. of these places are are like not equipped for what's going on yeah. top of them at all no, they don't have like, the infrastructure or like yeah the plumbing electrical the fucking transportation fucked. yeah it's fucked and even you know i learned this in new york city you know I've always been really into graffiti and, uh, you know, there was those documentaries. The, I think the film was called Dark Days and the, uh, book was called The Mole People. And it was about these, you know, graffiti artists who were going into like the subway tunnels to paint. Right. And when they started going on these adventures, they started meeting like the underground homeless. Right, right. In New York. And like, you know, I've been in New York, you know, 30 plus years at that point, like, you know, raised around here. I had no idea that there's literally like 50 to 100,000 people living below us. (laughs) And not even the ones that come up for like the shelters and soup kitchens, like, they're living down there. Like, like, they have their own like self sustaining practices down there. And, you know, one of the interesting parts about that was, you know, in the late 19th century, there is like upwards of forget the exact number, but, you know, 30, 40 plus independent power and water companies operating in New York right. who all had their own tunneling systems. So literally beneath the subways, 
there's like another 100, 200 feet of just like tunneling and, and, you know, weird places that people could go. Everyone's like, where's all these rats come from? You know, like the rat God. continent below Manhattan. Yo, Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is real. There's some crazy shit going on there. There's definitely a rat king, though. 100%. There's a rat king down there. None of this has anything to do with Chuck Reagan, does it? Except that he would love this intro because it's basically what he describes kind of escaping when it, to his mecca in Northern California. That's true. Followed a woman to California. The old country boy, you know? First followed her to this, what he calls his, his, his least, least favorite city. <laughs> in LA, man, it's, it's a tough place to move when you're used to a different way of life, for yeah. sure. So, so this is, this is part one yeah. of the interview with Let's Chuck Reagan, which, right we, which we have decided. And, uh, so this came about in a funny way. You know, I randomly touched Chuck from time to time. Um, and this time I was like, Chuck, I'd love to have you on going off track. You know, could we make it work? And he's essentially like, listen, you know, like I'm down, Benny. But most days, you know, I'm like out on the river from this time to this time. Then I get home, I do dinner, I put the boy down and then it's like nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, wow, you know, you don't have a lot of time. Um, so when we were trying to figure it out, he's like, oh, I could do it after. I'm like. Why don't I catch you fresh in the morning? I'm like, me and Brad are fathers, you know, we don't sleep in anymore. So, so maybe we could do this. And he pitches me with, uh, six o'clock Pacific time, nine o'clock Eastern time. I'm like, if you're up for it, brother, like, like, let's do it, you know? And, uh, yesterday I'm about to jump in the shower and I text Chuck back at like 8.15, meaning it's 5.15 his time. Right. And he doesn't text me back. He just gives me a call. <laughs> he's, dri he's driving to the river. He's telling me about what's going on. We have a great conversation about us both potentially being pond owners soon and telling me about a, a little fish that eats mosquito larvae that I should put into the pond. Which, and if you think about it, he was driving in the dark, dude. It had to be oh, dark. Oh, sure. Must have been. Yeah. I can't imagine what he was looking at. Like the sun, the sun peeking over the Sierra Nevadas and yeah. probably like coyotes howling. I don't know what the fuck he was looking at yesterday. But, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, in my uh, boxer briefs, you know, about to get in the shower with a cup of coffee, you know, just struggling along here. And he's he's already out to work. So last night at nine o'clock. He texts me being like, hey, you think we could do it an hour earlier, meaning 5 a.m. his time and 8 a.m. our time. So, Brad, we, we took care of it. We accommodated yep. and we made sure we got him in. And even even in those circumstances, Chuck couldn't. still still had to get out to yeah. get people on the river. So so this has turned into a two parter. But, you know, we spent a lot of the the time in the beginning getting into some introductory stuff and there's still so much more to talk about so much fun stuff well, we barely got into his solo career and yeah likewise uh, it's pretty much a full episode but yeah we've got yeah. so much more things to get to get so on so we're gonna clip it here we have a great 55 minutes with chuck coming up and we're gonna uh hit a part two pretty soon um but yeah i i was super stoked that chuck could come on with us he's like my uh, spirit animal in a lot of ways. Like there are literally times when I think about like 
what's going on in life. And I kind of think like, what would Chuck Reagan do? You know, <laughs> I have a feeling you may not be the only person that said that before. <laughs> I'll tell you this one story before we get into it. Like where, you know, it's funny. He brought up Belgium. This story happened in Belgium too. For some fucking reasons, Brussels is like the craziest city on earth. I have had more issues, more hijinks, more things happen in Brussels than any other city. That place is crazy. And uh, sure enough, you know, it, you know, uh, living up to its hype, I uh, am leaving a venue one night. I'm about to put my bag down in the bus to just like hang out for a little bit. Get into the bus, pull back the curtains, and who's in there but some fucking kid? <laughs> I swear to you. Some guy from the show got onto walked onto our bus and just slid into a bunk, thinking it would be funny, and of course he fucking picked mine. And I was just like and I was just like, Whoa! The fuck? You know, and the kid's like half laughing, half scared, and just like you know, gets out of the bus and, you know, like now people are kind of putting it together and I tell I'm like, this guy was just on my fucking bunk. What is this? And, uh, and everybody's kind of just like confused, you know, like, and like, whoa, what just happened? And almost like laughing, you know, like getting over it already. And the kid like darts around the corner and I'm like, all right, well, see ya. And before I know it, Chuck's like, Nah, and starts chasing after him. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, oh no. And I'm like, everybody, saddle up, saddle up. Like, Chuck's around the corner. We got work. We got work. You know? So I'm getting the crew together thinking we're about to fucking pound out some kid around the corner or something. And, and what do I find when I turn the corner? But Chuck, like, has this kid like lightly in his hands and is just breaking it down to him. He's like, listen, man, what are you doing here? It's not a good decision. I don't want to do Chuck voice. I don't want to embarrass him. But, and he's like, he's basically like, like making this kid feel four years old instead of beating him up. Like basically this is someone's home. You did this, you did this, this is this. If you're a fan, you know, like, like took this kid from 10 to two. Right. Just being him and and saying nothing untrue, you know what I mean? Right. Just like breaking the sheer reality of the situation <laughs> down to this kid where he was no longer having fun. Right. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, I'm a fucking asshole by the end of it. Right. And he never heard him. You know, he never like he could have, obviously, right. like he could have manhandled him. That's what I thought I was turning the corner. I thought it was going to be like a bear attack. <laughs> you know, that's like what I thought I was going to see. <laughs> And, like, it's situations like that where I'm like, this is just, like, there's, like, a compass on this person that just, like, is always shining in the right direction. Like, and he'll tell you as much as anyone, he's had hiccups, you know what I mean? Like, like staying on this path. But, man, he's a righteous motherfucker for real. (laughs) Like, like, and totally, like, every word he says is just, like, legit. And you learn that quick when you get around those guys, you know? Right. It was all the hot water guys. Like you, you couldn't, they don't suffer fools lightly, man. <laughs> I got, I got, I got my pants taken down by Chris Wallard the first time I met him. <laughs> like I was, I was so scared of him for, <laughs> I was, I, you know, as a chatty guy and when I would get around certain people, I get excited, right, you know, and right. I'm like, and I'm talking and I'm having fun. And I actually met, Chris Wallard before I met Chuck because 
um, Gaslight Anthem toured with The Draft before we toured with Hot Water Music, which was the band that Chris, right. Jason, and George did without Chuck, right. uh, where Chris was the singer. And we did this great early tour we got on with uh, with The Draft and uh, The Loved Ones and Dead to Me. It was a great fucking show. And we're opening out of four. So I'm just excited to be there, really, you know? And Chris Waller's one of my heroes. And we're in a backstage, and I, I'm talking shit about something. I, I couldn't even tell you what. And he goes, oh, yeah? That's the way it is? That's the way it is, man? And just takes my pants down in front of the whole room. <laughs> and just like, and basically old man me, you know, where I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, Chris Wallard hates me. And I was like, I was broken. I was so sensitive. I'm like, what did I do? I'm going through the conversation in my head like a hundred times like what is it that i said that put him over the top and and you know it's really it's really bothering me but you know quickly i get to the point maybe it's the jersey thing in me where if someone's like that i go from like feeling bad to like yo fuck that guy like real fast you know (laughs) like that happens within about 10 minutes and you know and then i'm like i don't really know what to do with this and literally the following morning I'm walking by the van, you know, the draft van, and I see him in there, and he, like, does his hand and calls me over. I'm like, all right, what's going on here? And he's just finishing up rolling a joint in there. He's like, you smoke? Come on. You know? And then, like, gets me in the van. We have this nice smoke and a great conversation. I could tell, like, he was kind of just like, you know, the kid who came in too hot. Right. He's just like... put. He's just putting him down a peg, you know what I mean? Like, one, take it down a peg, kid, you know? You just got here. You got a long road ahead of you. You know, slow it the fuck down. And then we ended up being super cool after that. So I think that's, like, the spirit of Hot Water and these guys and stuff a little bit is just, like, they're, they're proper fucking dudes, man, right. you know? And, like, they're working buds. They're basically working buds who play instruments instead of working, you know? Um <laughs> And you see what they do when they're not, you know, playing instruments, and it makes perfect sense. I don't know. And Chuck is just like the poster boy of that for me. There's no one, no one who, uh, I mean, there might be people, but there's not a lot of people who just project that spirit into rock and roll as, as well as, as him and that band. So I don't know, man. I'm so glad he came on. Should, yeah. we, should we get into part one here? Let's hear it, man. All right. Chuck. Hey, good morning. It worked. There he is. Oh, jeez. I was just teasing you. I said uh, your vita- I said your Vitamix got jammed up when you were making your river trout smoothie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what oh, happens, man. right? Sorry, guys. That's no, all right. <laughs> no, I I must have tried for I don't know for a while until I realized. Um, you know, my wife turns uh, Wi-Fi off at night, oh. <laughs> and uh, did, did, didn't even think about that one. I'm like, no, oh, that's that's what's going. On. That usually <laughs> helps and get it going. Yeah, but this it was funny though because this led me and Brad into a fun discussion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, we started yeah. talking about the show Ozark, which Brad just got into. Yeah, and then good. we were talking about. Game of Thrones and the ending, how I found the ending a bit a bit chauvinistic. And then we're getting into what were the best 
endings of like a popular TV show ever. And I kind of voted for The Sopranos. I was just telling Brad that when it went black at the end of Sopranos, there was no doubt to me that Tony died. I don't know. And I was the uh, opposite. I thought it was just hmm. like your lesson in life just goes on, man, and it's not that crazy. Have you watched any of these things, Chuck? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I usually, by the time I, I have a chance to sit down in front of the TV, I'm asleep in like 10 minutes. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's part of the reason we're talking at 522 <laughs> in the morning, your time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is funny for a little preface for anyone that's listening. When I was talking to Chuck about setting up the interview, he's like, you know, most days I'm out on the river real early, get home later. I do dinner. I watch the kid till nine and then, you know, I go to bed. I'm like, well, it doesn't seem a lot of windows here, you know? So I was like, why don't we get, get you nice and fresh before you head out in the morning? And we determined that we would talk at nine o'clock Eastern time, six o'clock your time, mm-hmm. and then got a text last night saying, "Can we do it at five o'clock your time and eight o'clock our time?" Which, <laughs> again, too, do you know you caught me going into the shower yesterday? Oh, nice! So I'm literally on East Coast time, and you still beat me to the day because you were already in your car heading to the river, which is impressive. <laughs> so I, I had a feeling yesterday. I was like, oh, Chuck called me to prove to me he's really up this early. But oh, I don't geez. think you're that type of man. Uh, no. So, <laughs> so yeah, man. So that being said, like, what, what's your what's your day to day like now? Like, like Girl, what do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, for starters, like for what I do, you know, at home, I'm I'm a fishing guide. And yeah. uh, that's for people who aren't familiar with what that is, is. It's, it's more or less, I'm an independent contractor. Okay. Okay. I am, uh, it's hired skilled labor, you know? So people hire me to either row them down the river or, you know, run them up a river in a jet boat or, or out on a lake or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm also an instructor, um, in, in fly fishing, you know? Uh, the majority of everything I do is, is fly fishing. Um, and where I am, the species that we chase and target are, uh, striped bass. We have mm-hmm. striped bass out here, um, nice. who were, that were introduced from your neck of the woods. Oh, really? Uh, 140 years ago or 141 years, long time ago. Um, uh, anyhow, stripers, spotted bass, largemouth, smallmouth, um, uh, steelhead, trout, American shad we have out here. So I pretty much uh, do the guiding thing year round. Right. And then, you know, nowadays, like nowadays, it's it's my main occupation and with music being kind of second <laughs> yeah it's crazy. well especially you know? now i mean you couldn't have fallen into a better uh you know not side thing to do but another thing to do is, yeah. you know considering yeah. the time right now you're not getting furloughed from the river so oh 100%. That's, a, 
So do you have uh, all your own gear and all your own boats or do you rent? Like, do you have like oh. a fleet, the Reagan fleet at this point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of boats around here. It's <laughs> uh, awesome. We run, uh, well, just got rid of one, but so yeah, now there's, uh, there's three boats that I operate out of and, uh, which some people, to some people, it may sound excessive or uh, obsessive, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> to me, to me, it's it's what separates me from you know other people who are limited throughout the year. You know, oh, we okay. live in, I live in Northern California, right? Yeah. So we get you know come come uh, you know November December. There, you never know when the rivers gonna are gonna blow out. You know where we're gonna get like heavy rainfall. Okay. Or, you know, mixed with uh, you know a big, you know a big snow, and all of a sudden the rivers, you know, just they go. Right. And um, you know, for the guides, for some of the guys who only do say walk and wade trips, or the guys who only do, you know. They're just, they only work out of the drift boat. Uh, they're done. And right. sometimes, sometimes those guys don't work for, I mean, sometimes these rivers are blown out for anywhere from two to four months. Oh, wow. So to me, you know, I realize that and I'm like, yeah, that, you know, that's not going to work. You know, I, I have to. You know, so basically what I, I, I operate, a, I row a drift boat. I have like a super small skinny water jet boat that gets into really, really tight skinny spots. Cool. Um, and, uh, and then I have a bigger boat that I run in the California Delta, uh, these foothill lakes and, uh, say like the Sac River. So okay. it pretty much opens up. It's a, it's a pain, you know, because <laughs> right. I'm, I'm uh, maintaining three boats and trailers. And right. I've heard one one is even hard. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then paying insurance on right, uh, sure. and uh, you know registration and insurance on everything. But uh, again, you know, it completely opens me up. You know, to do this type of work year round. Do they you know? uh, are they separately named? Uh, the boat? <laughs> yeah, the boats. They have names. <laughs> the, there's only one that has a legit name. That's the Raging Cajun. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> uh, oh, that's right. I, I, you got to name the other two, man. Isn't that isn't that like a, a sea time tradition? Yeah, yeah, but they gotta, boy, they gotta earn it. <laughs> oh, I see. Got to earn their stripes first. They got to earn it. So, now, Chuck, as somebody who's done a little fishing, also one thing you didn't mention is it's my uh, my view that the guide is supposed to take you to the fish, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my biggest value for a guide. I can I can row. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> running outboard. <laughs> take me to the fish, man. Where are the fish? <laughs> that's right. Well, you know we do. I can always take anybody to where they live at the right. right season, you know, at when 
I believe is the best time to go for that particular species. But, uh, yeah, man, the rest is up to them. <laughs> they make up their own mind, huh? Rest is up to them and up to the fish. Yeah. No, I, no, like, uh, the fly fishing stuff that we do, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's physical, it's mental, you know, I mean, like you, you have to be invested in it. And some of the stuff we do is like fly fishing for striper when we're trophy hunting, you know, for these. And I'm talking, I mean, you guys, you've seen, you've seen them, you know what I mean? Like you guys get big striper out there. Oh yeah. I, um, I can't imagine fly fishing for a striper. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's probably, you know, I love the steelhead fishing. I love the bass fishing. You know, I love dragging frogs and having big bass blow up and everything. But, you know, I, I think like if I could choose one thing that one program that I do out here out of all the programs that I run, like, it's chasing these river striper mm-hmm. and in particular it's it's hunting for those 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 big mamas yeah. you know big females you know and what i'm talking is like you know the the 25 30 35 40 pound you know so they come up the river that big they live here yeah wow no these are residents oh my gosh yeah, these are resident fish. So uh, I think we could are, call them locals, huh? They, these are locals, man. Yeah, locals only. Uh, uh, up here in Northern California, we have a mix of migratory and resident fish. Ah. Okay, so these fish were introduced, uh, you know, years ago and have, uh, over the years coexisted with the, uh, you know, anadroma species, uh, the steelhead, the salmon, you know, everything, the sh- American chat, everything that comes into the bay, uh, up the rivers, uh, to spawn and then leaves, right? And striper are the same. Uh, traditionally they'll come in from the salt and the brackish water move up into the rivers, spawn, do their thing, and then, and then head out right Hmm. well i mean over the years with you know either water diversion pollution uh you know just habitat becoming less and less you know uh likable for for that species uh every once in a while fish would stay you know they would get up in the river and they'd say oh man you know i got cold clean water I got food coming to me. Right. I have zero predators, you know. Right. Just hang. Hang back. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no yeah. sharks. There's no seals. There's no, like, I got no predators up here. Huh. Except now, for that crazy guy on the bank over there looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> just makes me think of uh, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau and grumpy old men chasing yeah. Chasing catfish hunter around. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Walter. So, yeah. Walter. <laughs> Classic. So I mean, yeah. on a, a normal day on the river like that, um, yeah. You know when? When do you? Uh, are you thinking about music? 
like do ideas come to you when you're out there (laughs) you know um do you have any way of uh you know, if you have a eureka moment out out on the river, is there any way you you put it down, or or is are the two things just like mutually exclusive? No, no, uh, always. And you know, I've got a phone full of probably really uh, humiliating voice notes, <laughs> uh, the motor running and just you know, and yeah. me just going. <laughs> if for some reason it's it was some kind of melody or word or something that make made the hair stand up on the back of my neck or enough to go oh i gotta record that right (laughs) i gotta hear i think you just found i bet if you pitched that to side one they'd be into it oh yeah they would jump on that in a heartbeat some demos yeah that's good that's cool um no, I mean, uh, I write, so I've always written since I've, my wife and I, we've lived in this neck of the woods for 13 years. Oh, right? wow. It's been that long well, already. Huh. And um, since we've been here, I mean, there, there's so much. I mean, people, I still have locals and local clients and people still telling me about, oh, you've never been to the. You've never been to the, what, Granny's old rock slide? What? No. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, you just go over here and up there. There's so much up here to explore, you know, and uh, um, I mean, we get out a bunch, but every time I turn around, we're learning of a new little trail or, you know, some kind of cool little swimming hole or something you know, up in the hills and, uh, you know, I, since we've been here, uh, I've done a lot of, a lot of writing out there in that, you know, um, we find it inspiring in in general, just where you are. A hundred percent. Yeah. One of the last solo uh, records that flame in the flood record, I wrote most of those, uh, most of those lyrics, um, and a lot of those tunes just camping out on the Yuba, cool. out on the Yuba River. Love that. When you yeah. when you move when you first went out there, did you have you know much knowledge about what you were getting into, or knowledge about the area, or did you did you all really just take kind of a leap of faith in, in going out there? Total leap of faith for me. Jill Jill was more familiar. She's a Bay Area girl, so right. He was more familiar with this neck of the woods and and was like, man, there's this place my family and I used to visit. Let's oh. go check it out. We were living down in Silver Lake at the time. Right. And, uh, you know, we came up in the summer, in a summer one time, swam in the Yuba. And, man, I, I was just blown away. I'm like, you know, I've, I've toured all over the place and we've had – you know, some great opportunities and see, have seen some really cool areas. I've never sure. seen anything like this. Yeah, you know, well, touring doesn't get you out to places like that too often, right? <laughs> yeah, no, we just see it through the through the window, right? Or, I mean, usually, like, you know, the most <laughs> successful venues in America that have been open the longest are because they're 
normally in neighborhoods that don't give a shit about a venue being there for 40 years or something. So you're, you're yeah. not always going to the best part of town. You're not always going to, you know, yeah. I, I can't yeah. tell you how many times, yeah, and you know it well, been to a city that you haven't seen anything you want to see. Do you have um, any you have any tips for me, Chuck? I'm about to move out of the city and get some space. Oh what, man. What do I got to do with my head? Like like what what should <laughs> what should I be expecting and with the space and what what can I do with all that? Well, Benny, you need to get you a good pair of boots. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> get you a good pair get you a good pair of boots. What do you recommend? What's a good like what what do I do? <laughs> like um, a, a, you t- I like to hike. You're not going to see me fish too much, but I like to hike. You like to hike? I do. You know, are you you on some property where you need to do some work or, Well, as we discussed uh, yesterday, I'm now going to be a half of a pond owner. Oh, this that's right. Yeah. A half pond. So I was thinking about some like, you know, some tall like pond boots, you know, what are those things called? The big ones, like the fireman ones. Muck boots. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, maybe something like that. Dredge out into the pond. Like, there you go. Yeah, what do I need to know here? Brad's from the country too. I I just don't get this stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I always like uh, I always like Red Wings. Right. Know? Yeah. Get you get you just a good old pair of Red Wing Pecos. You know what I mean? They're easy to kick on and off. And what do you do? Like you know, one of the things that it's not a concern, but just something I'm thinking about is like. You know, there's going to be a lot more space, uh, not only, you know, physically, but even like philosophically, just like less people, less things, yes. uh, less stuff yes. to, to cloud it. And even yeah. though I'm excited for that, uh, I'm also curious and a little terrified of what's going to fill that void and what's going to pull up inside of that. Did, did you have any like experience with that when you moved out there? Oh no! I, I well, other than just loving it, you know. Okay, good. <laughs> um, you know, I I was never, you know, I we're not really kind of city people, right? You know? I mean, we were in Silver Lake for work. Well, Jill was there for work. Yeah, I was there because I fell in love with a California girl and thought <laughs> it was a great idea to move to. My least favorite city on the planet. From, <laughs> from classic tale, classic my favorite tale. place to live in the world. You know? right, right. <laughs> but uh, no, so for me, moving up here, like it made, and we're still. I mean, to like her parents and to other people, they're like, "Oh, you're way out there in the stick," and I'm like, "No, we're not." I'm like, I can see my neighbors. Right. I'm not in the country. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I can see them, you know. Um, this isn't country to me, you know, but uh, we're still in the town. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, to me, you know, this new place that we're getting, uh, even then, you know, we're, it's, it's this tiny little old gold mine town called Rough and Ready. No <laughs> and, uh, way. And, uh, that's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I couldn't think not- of a better town to put yourself in than a town called <laughs> Rough and Ready. Maybe that should be an, oh, that could have been a perfect name for a boat. <laughs> and, hey, and then we're getting, we're getting there. 
now I see why you guys do these podcasting. It's for answers. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you find answers to your questions. And since you are the father of sage wisdom, who who could I who could I get better? Now, so one one thing I like I know you had to experience um uh the wildfires and stuff out there. Yeah. Uh can you speak on that that experience a little and and if living out there have you become like more concerned or active with with like environmental issues at all 100% man okay. um living out here living out here around all right where to what a can of worms um fi- it's inevitable right right these wildfires and how our climate has become um, in this day and age, like there will be more devastation. There mm-hmm. will be more lives lost. There will be more communities burned. There will be more homes burned. Uh, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Like this is, it's nuts, but it's happening and it's getting worse. Um you know, when I moved here, like I said, we've been up here 13 years before that was down. And, you know, I, so I guess I, I moved to California probably about 17 years ago, maybe 18 right. years. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who are firefighters and, um, you know, these guys are telling me they're like, you know, 10, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, it's like there was a fire season. Right, right. It's like every season it would come and, you know, we would get busted down and we would do our work and, and, and then we would get to the rainy season and, you know, it would give us a break. We right. were able to, you know, rejuvenate. We were able to heal. We were able to repair gear. We were able to restock and just kind of get ready for the next one. Right. And now they're like, there's no more season. Oh, wow. And like that doesn't even exist. It's year round. There's definitely a time where, you know, we may get a lull, but somewhere else in California, it's on fire. It's so crazy. And, um, and what, what times of the year, just for my reference, like what, what were the like seasons where it was a, a high probability for fire and when are the rainy seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much from May all the way to, you know, November. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, I know this must have opened your eyes a lot more to what's going on. Like, um, yeah. Is there anything you know, like boots on the ground? You've you've been able to do or get yourself involved with? Oh, I mean, not not really from from our standpoint, other than doing some benefits for you know campfire victims right. or you know raising money for families. Who, you know, during the Paradise Fire, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people uh, had heard of. Yeah. Um, you know, we knew, uh, eight family and there's probably more of people that we know through other people, but we knew personally like eight families that, that lost everything. 
you know, Fuck, man. and, uh, um, you know, we, we did, we did like some, did some fundraising stuff and, you know, tried to raise a bunch of money. A lot of people, if there's anybody listening to this, that were some of the ones who sent in gift cards. Thank you. Because there was some that I don't even know who it was is just, uh, you know, a, an envelope showed up, no address on it, oh, uh, showed up to us with, you know, just a stack of gift cards. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, so if there's anybody out there that by chance listening to this and that was you from the, oh man. Thanks. Yeah, that's some beautiful altruism right there. Thank you. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. It's, it's a serious, serious thing that we know that is going to happen again. And even, uh, you know, it's, it's scary for me thinking of raising our kid in this area and knowing that he's going to grow up knowing this. Right. He's going to grow up and possibly be threatened and affected by it. And I often ask myself, I'm like, well, why the hell do we live in such a fragile place? You know? Mm-hmm. And when I really think about it, I'm like, you know, anywhere that you live that's cool or beautiful or has something, there's going to be some kind of threat. Yeah, you, for sure. You know, if it's the ocean, it's, you know, hurricanes or tsunamis or erosion or pollution or you name it, you know. Yeah. If, yeah, it's crazy. You even, know, it, even, it's tornadoes and, right. you know, or it's, uh, you know, riots in the city. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like everywhere you go, there is going to be a threat of something or the other, it seems. And uh, it's just, it's the price that we pay to live in such a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you said, I think it's like, you know, part of getting into, you know, being a parent and stuff, too, is, you know, your your feeling is to what can I do to best protect these things? And am I putting them in the best situation in this? But as you said, there's just something everywhere that can get you. You know, you can only <laughs> you can only help them so much. And then you got to let our our little creatures out into the wild like anything else. Right. Um, I know. I mean, even out here, like we, is the first time in my life there was not a snowstorm this winter. Wow. Not one. You know, I've been, this is where, you know, you could turn on the news, you could listen to professors and scientists, or you could just open your fucking eyes. And Mm -hmm. if I, you know, turned all that off and muted all that off, the only thing I know is that this is the first time in 39 years of life living in the same area that I never got a snowstorm. And that, you know, by June and July, we're going into weeks that are 100 plus degrees, which, you know, is killing people in their apartments and, you know, doing things that are that are such a hazard, even though it doesn't look like a natural disaster. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's happening everywhere. And it's not even a matter of, well, the scientists are telling us this. It's actual people like you who are living in it and seeing it change and people like us living in it and seeing it change. But, yeah, you know, 
yeah, what are I mean, we going to do to a point, you know, you can, uh, I even have a brother-in-law who's for years and years and years been involved with the Surfrider Foundation. Yes. And, you know, cleaning up plastics and wonderful organization. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And he's been, you know, cleaning up plastics and setting up fresh water systems in different places. And, you know, he even came back from a conference a few months ago, just feeling really defeated. You know, the idea that, you know, yeah. millions of people could go out and clean plastic from beaches every single day. But it's a little bit of a Sisyphean task because yeah. there's all this like broken down plastic smaller than the eye can see yeah. that's living in the sea. It's living in fish. It's living in, you know, livestock. And, and it's just getting in us whether we like it or not. Um, so, you know, that's maybe uh, maybe we <laughs> just need the meltdown reboot button, you know, like from, oh, yeah. from like the Austin Powers movies or something. Right. Yeah. A super villain, Chuck. I can fully relate with that in the sense of villain defeated. You know, I mean, there. So we have a we have a group out here, um, called the uh, South Yuba River Citizens League, and they're they're really nice people. Circle is kind of the in short, and they do do a lot. You know, for kind of the local river cleanups and whatnot. And at one point, you know, I remember, I remember forgetting about this river cleanup, right. That, uh, that I, that was, that was happening, you know, and, uh, me and a buddy were up in the lake, uh, of that, feeds the feeds this river mm -hmm. right we're up in the lake fishing and i see one of my one of the uh arm one of the rangers you know one of my buddies with the army corps of engineers up there that managed this whole lake okay and i'm talking to him and he's like oh I, I figured you guys would be down at the river cleanup and i'm all i'm all what what <laughs> What river cleanup? And he's like, man, the Yuba River cleanup. He's like, you're a Yuba guy. I figured you would be down there. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about it. You know, yeah, I didn't yeah. know about it. I'm out of the loop, you know, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. And um, so we went out. We go fishing. And we're, we're fishing around the Inglebright Reservoir. And all of a sudden all I could see was trash. Oh, know? wow. And, um, and I start thinking, I'm like, you know, they're down there. They're down there like cleaning up the riverbed, which is great. Right. That's awesome. Sure. But I'm like, man, this is where a lot of this trash is coming from. Right. Like, and, Again, like that kind of defeated, like I got out on the bank and I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, right now there's 200 people down there in the riverbed walking around picking up garbage. And I'm looking at stuff that will never, ever be picked up. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Will, it will soon become part of this, you know, the bottom of this reservoir. It will soon, you know, be a part of this fish and it's a part of this earth. Like we've created it. It's, it's, 
I mean, if you get me started on that thought train, man, it's a dark place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not a happy I, place to go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but, th- this is this is a perfect time for going off track then, because most of the interviews lately, because of the quarantine and whatnot, have started <laughs> out with about thirty minutes of just like pretty much bummer shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know because it, it's been interesting honestly to talk to different people and yeah see where different people's heads are at while they're at home and you know the way they're dealing with it and i think it's important to talk about but sure it's, it's no fucking fun you know <laughs> so let's lighten it up then a little because i have some fun stuff too chuck <laughs> um so you kind of have some like legendary stories things you've done that that kind of like are the thing of legend now. And I need to get a couple cleared up, okay, to see if they're actually true or not. And true or false, Benny? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. So, uh, nice. All right, so the first one was I always heard the story, I believe from Brian McTurnan, that you guys showed up to record Caution with a boat on top of the van. <laughs> <laughs> um is this true it, close okay uh, it, it was it was a canoe on top, <laughs> on top of my truck yeah. <laughs> all right so what was what was the impetus there well we were recording vocals he was like right there on the water he said hey i got a river out my backyard and i said cool i'm bringing a boat <laughs> <laughs> and did you get out Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you remember his old place, right? Yes, I do. The one yeah. bef- that before it burned. Yeah. The one in the house or the the one in D.C.? The house. No, the house on the Potomac. Oh, OK. Right. 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 I had never been to that place. I had I was oh, okay. in between when I had seen him. Yeah. God, gotcha. OK. Um, it was pretty cool. It was, you know, like a hundred yard, 150 yard walk down to the water. Nice. And, uh, you know, a lot of fish, like we catch walleye and catfish and bass, all kinds of cool stuff. That's awesome. But, yeah, no, we, uh, whatever record it was, um, Caution maybe, we did all the vocals out there. So we were out there for a week just, you know, fishing in the morning and and. Yeah. Just yelling the rest of the day. <laughs> was it just you, or were, were the other guys into it too? It was me, Wallard, and McTurnan out there most of the time. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. By the time we got to that phase of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see George as a fisherman for some reason. It, George actually loves to fish. He does. Okay, um, and he says it's in my blood. You know, it's, it's like, I'm Portuguese, man. That's my people. That's true. Like, of course I love to fish. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, he's like, ah, I'd rather sleep. Uh, <laughs> would you, would you finish vocals and go out in the boat or go out on the boat and then, and then record? Oh, uh, both. Nice. I love both. it. <laughs> yeah. We did, we did all kinds of, I did a lot of kind of early first light you know, finish lyrics out there. And, uh, good. Yeah. All right. Now another tale that I've heard from a bunch of people. So I've heard some stories that early, early, early in the hot water music days, 
there would be some problems and it would be settled with with a good old fashioned dust up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is also true? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean we'd straight up Yeah, I mean, not even and we're not talking about wrestling match or verbal abuse. We're talking about straight up fist fights, you know. Just fighting. Just beating the crap out of each other and then hugging each other and crying and going and sitting on a log and drinking 19 beers. Right. Yeah, I don't know, man. We we were we were kind of a wild bunch like yeah. that and uh, and a little bit out of our minds or a lot out of our minds. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> poor people – the. Whoever the poor bastard was who would try to break it up, yeah, like just I apologize to <laughs> all of you out there if you were one of them because most of the time if they tried to pull me and Wallard apart, we would turn on them. Yeah, right. <laughs> We'd be like, "This isn't about you." <laughs> And next thing you know, we're beating the crap out of some stranger. <laughs> what was wrong with us? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know, man. We, we definitely, uh, nah. <laughs> that, yeah, we had had some screws loose. Uh, do you remember at all, like, like what's something that would would start something like this? Oh, man. It could, it could literally. I, I mean, I it could have been nothing. I don't know. I I couldn't tell you what started anything. Right. You know. I I mean, I'm sure if I if Wallard and I really sat down, or Jason and I sat down, uh, you know, I'm sure we could really kind of maybe figure out why. Uh, it was usually, it was usually, okay, we had a, what was a big one? Let me think real quick. Okay. Okay. Um, you know that song, Cursing Concrete, old Rumble Seat song? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, that song came from what, exactly what you're talking about. We had like this. We had like a, I mean, a all out blowout brawl. And what's funny is it started from like, uh, <laughs> it started from me, I think, trying to calm Chris down because he had like, for some reason, he, he had it, had it in his mind that somebody was coming after him about oh, okay. something. Okay. And he was having one of his moments. And, uh, I, now I think you would have to go and ask him, like, hey, what was Cursing Concrete about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He might have a different answer. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I think it started that way, you know, of, uh, you know, trying to just basically like calm him down. And he didn't like that. Then, you know, next thing I know, I didn't like him pushing on me and, and it escalated. And next thing we know, we're, I'm, 
what started out as like, hey, buddy, chill out, turned into, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And just just tearing each other to pieces in this parking lot. (laughs) And and did everybody kind of know to just like stay out of the way when that was happening? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, And especially, you know, we had friends like, where somebody coming by would be like, Hey, break it up, you know, like, and, and, and our friends would step in and be like, Hey, they're friends, like stay away from them. Yeah. You know, like, this is just, what they do. Yeah. Just let them figure it out, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we did a lot of figuring out, I guess you could say. I mean, I feel like, you know, I hear that story and as an outside observer, you know, I feel like it must have added because the first time I saw Hot Water Music was in a basement in New Brunswick in about 95 or something. You guys Mm -hmm. were doing some shows with a band from my town, actually, called One Nature, which I'm so happy I get to bring up the band One Nature in a podcast. Doesn't get to happen often. But they were like the gods of my area of like Somerset County when I was coming up. And that's how I heard of you guys, because they had done some shows with you. And I remember going to this basement. You couldn't have been playing for more than, you know, 15, 20 people. And you start playing. And before I know it, I just see like three bearded, shirtless, sweaty guys just like screaming into the air with like you know the part in your song where you'd like not play the guitar and you guys would all just be doing the vocal part and and it blew me away i was like because no one was doing anything like that around us and i'm like what the fuck is this um and it had this kind of like power and energy and sort of a a wild aspect to it at the time uh musically yeah. and kind of socially and when, when i hear stories like that it makes sense i mean it sounds like you guys were really riding kind of a a sort of a loose and wild rope on your way up no doubt no doubt and i mean honestly man it, it did i'm thankful that we never really hurt anybody right or hurt ourselves, you know. Um, we damaged a lot of property. <laughs> you know, we we were pretty crummy, and um, you know, to to some people, um, and many of them, uh, I we had we made amends with some of them. We don't know who they are or right. where they are. Or, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I feel bad about that, but, um, you know, we, we definitely grew from it. Sure. And well, you were and, young, right? Yeah, like you guys we were, were young. Our bond stronger. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I can imagine you could never imagine punching Chris Creswell. I couldn't think of an opposite, a more opposite person to try to fight <laughs> oh no way man no. like the sweetest kid 
No, it, it would probably break my hand on that chiseled jaw, you know, <laughs> like punching the statue of David, you know. <laughs> Very handsome. Do you just look over on stage sometimes and go, oh, Jesus Christ, I should have gotten oh, a, an older yeah. an older model. This is too, it's too young and fresh. Totally, totally. He is so well, handsome with know, that hair. When, when, you know, Black and George and I, we were all sitting around trying to figure out what we are going to do. And we are like, guys, we're getting older. You know, I think we need to start eating better. Uh, maybe we should join a gym. And then, you know, we're like, oh, or we just hired Cresswell. <laughs> and, uh, and problem solved, yeah, you know. Perfect. You know, make us feel bad by just standing there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, motivate us to <laughs> eat better <laughs> No, That's uh, so awesome. he's, it, it's, it's so rad. I, I mean, like hot water's in such a healthy, beautiful place right now, man. I'm so proud and happy to say it. Like all of us are on the same page. Um, Wallard, Cresswell, George, Jason, me, we're all together. We're that. actually writing together. That's and, so cool. uh, there's some, there is some really cool stuff that will hopefully be coming down the pipe, you know, fairly soon. But, um, but yeah, no, it, it's, uh, <laughs> when we first, when we first got him on and he's just so, I mean, I've known Cresswell since, man, I mean, I think one of the first times I met him, he was like 16 or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, they were babies when they first started coming out. And, um, yeah, and I've just always loved him. I've just always loved him. He's just got a heart of gold. Yes. He's unbelievably talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kidding like shark. his writing ability, his playing ability, singing, like his stamina, energy, you know, he's respectful. It's like, man, he's he's just, yeah, no, he's he's a hero, man. That's awesome. We could all be Canadian. How did, how did that, how did it go at first? Like, uh, was that transition strange or, or was it nice and fluid like that from the, from the get go? It was a hundred percent organic and fluid. I like it all happened by accident, you know, so we what, were, yeah. How did that go down? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember what release it, uh, lighted up. Maybe we had just released yeah. and, uh, had played some stuff on it played a few shows and we were scheduled to play the fest so this was october 2017 okay and uh and i was on my way to the airport and there's this one gas station that i'd swing into to fill up you know um right before i get on you know park my truck and get on the plane and I pull in the gas station and Georgie's calling me. Okay. You know? And George is like, Hey dude. And we're we're playing tomorrow like the next day. Okay. And George is like, Hey man, Wallard ain't playing. Ooh. Oh what do you mean? He's like, What ha you know, I'm like, What happened? Is he okay? Like what's going on? Yeah. Like, I don't know. He just says he can't play. Okay. And he said, George did. None of us knew, you know, 
none of us knew what was going on. And um, how did George find that? Did George have a conversation with Chris? I think it w- he had a conversation with Chris, but uh, he was also hearing from Chris's wife. Right. And uh, I guess, you know, we were then told like, oh, man, he had, he had some kind of episode. He went to the ER. You know, we don't know what's going on just yet. He's being checked out. And, uh, you know, so we sat in, I sat in the parking lot for a second talking to George. I'm like, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. You know, and um, I said, I got to, you know, either I'm coming there, we'll go see him, or I'm going to come there, he'll be okay, we'll play, or the other option is I'm going to come there and we'll play as a three-piece, you know, which we'd done before, not not without Wallard, but we'd right. done out Jason um, on a festival over in Europe where Jason uh, Jason had some health stuff going on couldn't and couldn't be on a flight and uh, I ended up playing bass oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, I know you've played the festival Benny I'm trying to remember um, oh man big festival in Belgium Big punk rock festival. Oh, the Workter? Rock Workter? No. Nope. Um, oh, like the big one. No, no, probably not. Big one Big one in the punk rock world. <laughs> okay. Grows. Oh, Grows Gros- Rock, yeah. Maybe it was Grows Rock. Okay. Maybe it was Grows Rock. Uh, and anyhow, Hot Water ha- had like a really good spot, you know? Right, right. Like the like... 8 p.m. spot in the tent, you Um, know, the money spot, the money spot, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And, and we were super fired up and, and next thing we know, we have no bass player. So I had to like borrow, we're at the, whatever the hotel festival hotel. uh, um, And I had to borrow some bass from whoever was staying next to us. Because there's bands everywhere. Of course. And I just yeah. kept knocking on doors. I'm like, you got a bass I can borrow <laughs> for like four hours? <laughs> <laughs> and learned a bunch of song. Oh, crap. Hey, man, hang on. I gotta, I'm got i going to text these clients and tell them I'm going to be a little late. Do you need to do like a round two at another time or something? That might not be a bad idea because I could see this going on. For a long time. I definitely have a lot more to talk to you about. All right. All right. Chuck is out fishing now. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous, man. <laughs> he's out fishing now. He's he's on the river with maybe an unnamed boat, which I that surprised me. That <laughs> really surprised you, me. You really want to name it. Benny, go out there and go fishing with Chuck and you can name. I'll bet he'll, he'll let you name his boat. I'd have to catch something to name it, though. That's the guide. He's a guide. That's You're guaranteed to catch. I don't want to catch a fish. <laughs> you can throw it back. It makes me dude. feel bad, man. You can Even throw that it makes back. me feel bad. You don't have to dude, I've been thinking, you know, I've been in like an undisclosed, you know, seaside location for months now, <laughs> yeah. which I still won't tell you where I am. <laughs> but, you know, being down here that long, like, I was like, you know what? I should eat some fish. 
it's everywhere down here. That's what people do all day. Like I watch the people do it. There's not much to do in the off season, you know, and I see people fishing. I'm like, this makes sense. This is what you should do down here. This is great. <laughs> and it gives you something to do. And I actually started considering it again, which I have a couple times in my life. And the same thing happened, man. I just watched somebody pull one in, like, like the whole process of catching it to getting it in, you know, and even this is when they threw back and watching the whole thing. I'm like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. I'm like, I can't. It just makes me feel too bad. It does. <laughs> and if it makes me feel that bad, I shouldn't be eating the fucking thing either. Like if I can't. If I right. can't watch it happen, right. let alone do it myself, I shouldn't be eating it. Well, my first experience when I was like, you know, 11, bringing in a bunch of fish, bringing them home and then trying to clean them. It was a horrible, it was a horrible mess. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> who were you guided by? This is a no, there family was no trip? guide when I was 11. No. Yeah. I think, you know, my dad got us a couple of like reels and. You know, I was I was kind of a country boy, so I was off with one of my buddies and yeah, caught a bunch of catfish and like probably sunnies or something. I don't think there's anything good in there. Um, yeah, it was a mess, and I think it put me off fishing for years. <laughs> Just cleaning it and doing all this uh, stuff. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I think like that's where you know I don't know if I've ever given you my idea about the meat license, but like. No. <laughs> You know, to me, you know, I'm not like a crazy. Oh, if, veg you, if you kill it, you can. Yeah, you can yeah. Like so, that's why I think when you're 18, you need to like catch and kill a fish, a chicken, a pig, and a cow. Like all four of them, you got to get into it. You got to kill the animal. You got to help dress it. You know, like get the meat ready and do all that. And if you're still fine with it after, you get your meat license. Like, <laughs> like good for you. Eat as much as you fucking want. You know where it comes I from. Think... You saw it happen. Now, if you're still fine with no scruples, go ahead and eat meat. You know, like, like I think that's this fair. Is... That's fair. And and I think that would solve a lot of things for me because to me, you know, it's not the fundamental idea of eating meat that bothers me. It's like a how it's how it's how it goes from the animal to your plate right. is crazy to me. And also just this idea that you walk down these aisles in the supermarket and there's not one picture of an animal. And that's completely intentional because as you're walking through this aisle, they don't want you to imagine right. an animal. Right. They'd want you to imagine this pink slab covered in plastic under you that it just magically appeared there and you get to eat it. <laughs> but like, I want people to know where that shit comes right. from. You know, like, and if you're okay with, you know, watching these these crazy factories and hanging them up, doing all that shit, then okay, eat that cow like as much as you want. This, it's your life, baby. <clears throat> but I don't want, I don't, want, I don't like the ignorant part of it. Like, if you're just like, you know, see no evil kind of stuff right. for it, and you're still doing it, nah, fuck you. Don't like that. You know, that's fair. That's totally fair. Have you ever shot and killed an animal? I have not specifically gone hunting. I think I've hunted squirrel, but I don't think we got any. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you were raised a certain way. You were even hunting uh, squirrel, huh? I've hunted bullfrogs. Okay. With with a rifle, though. <laughs> bullfrogs with a rifle. And ate them. Uh, and, uh, Wait, how do you, once you hit a bullfrog with a rifle, is there much left? So we were using 22s and trying to shoot him in the head, and uh, it's a pretty clean shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
And you eat the legs anyway, so it doesn't matter if you explode. Oh, right. The frog's legs. <laughs> yeah. Those are the good part. And, that's, and that kind of put me off of that because I was like, this is a huge waste of <laughs> – even if it's just a frog, this is a waste of life that I'm just eating these – because the legs, once you fry them up, they don't – there's not a whole lot going on there. Yeah. But <laughs> the thing is though, I think if I was out on a boat with Chuck – I don't think I don't think I could resist the peer pressure, though. You know, I would have to try. Well, fish is not. So, I mean, if you know what you're doing, fishing can be. You can clean a fish pretty easily. Yeah, it's not. It's not that hard. I'll, I'll clean I a mean, fish. No, no. Problem. Even putting a worm on a hook freaks me out. Oh, right? come on, Benny! Like poor worm. <laughs> you know, he just wants to cruise around in the dirt. <laughs> Well, do his thing. I'll he doesn't want to be part of this this game that Chuck, we're playing here, you know. Chuck's not putting any worms on on hooks. I'll tell you that. He's like, probably that's using all some... If you can get, if he can teach you to fly fish, that's really I, that'd be fun, dude. That's that's Wait, a really like, fun sport. It's like worm on a hook. That's some like childish that's, like yeah, yeah, lakeside yeah. kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah mostly night crawlers. Isn't that what they use? Night crawl. Yeah. That's what they use. I mean, all I know about fishing is from grumpy old men. <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong. Fish love that, but uh, it's a it's it's a uh, committed way to fish, and it's not yeah. easy. And you're probably going to end up with a fish you don't want on the hook. <laughs> and a river runs through it. You remember that one? Oh yeah, Hell Brad yeah. Pitt, Tom Skerritt. Yeah, dude. Yeah, not That's bad. So I did something a Chuck thing the other day. That I had to show. So Chuck used to do this thing where he'd walk into a backstage with a bottle of Jameson, take the top off and throw it away, <laughs> and then hand it around the room until the bottle was gone. That was the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's that a, was a tough one. That's hopefully a big room. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be in there with like three other dudes. <laughs> no, no. And then subsequently, he'd make the strangest late night sandwiches. Oh yeah, like really bizarre concoctions of stuff that even for me, I was yeah, little. Do you have an example? No, we'll ask. We'll we'll ask him about that in part two because oh, okay. it was complicated, but it had a lot to do with like you know loose deli meats, hot sauces. Uh, spreads like there's just like a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Not really my style. I'm I'm kind of like melt some cheese on something late at night. That's what I'm into. Yeah, I'm curious to hear what the Chuck Reagan special is. Brad, when's the last time you just went out and got like hammered drunk? <laughs> like where you don't even remember getting home and making some weird food, like doing the whole thing. So there was um. There was one or two times, I think, during the uh, when Rubber Tracks was happening, that there was a few parties, and I was a parent then. I was a dad at that point. Still going. And that was only, you know, that was like five years ago, maybe four. Yeah, four years ago. But uh, yeah, that would have been the last time. Although there was a Christmas party here, you know, among the dads, maybe two years ago. That was, oof. This one British dad who likes to start the party off with like a usually a strong whiskey based cocktail, mm-hmm. and they are so good. And you just you don't want to kick it off with three of those in a row because that could be a long night or a short night. And I think yeah, yeah I had a Christmas party night like that that I don't remember how it ended. 
I still haven't broken the seal. My kids still haven't seen me drunk. No, my kids have not seen me drunk, dude. Like, like drunk, drunk, yeah, right? No you should, just shouldn't do that, right? No, I don't. Just, Bad I look? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, no! I don't. I, Bad that look. doesn't happen with me anyway anymore. Yeah, a couple drinks. That's it. I saw something this morning that was alluding to the fact that only conservatives drink scotch. Oh no! I love scotch. Yeah, I didn't right get time. that one. Yeah, fuck that. See, fake is, news, you man. know what? You know what, man? This is the reason I almost did an entire podcast about fucking Arby's. Is stuff like that. Yep. You know this idea that. That kindness is weakness. You know what I mean? Seriously. That's like that's where the whole concept comes from. The idea that if you can open yourself up to other people and you can give empathy and sensitivity, they're a fucking pussy. Oh, you know what I mean? It's and, the and that's seriously what it comes from. Like, dude, I will love on people all day and I will drink your ass under the table, <laughs> conservative. Like, come at me. Yeah. Come the fuck at me. You don't even know. Your Chuck story there is a good example of that. It's just the opposite. Exactly. When you have the power and you don't wield it. That's the bravest, strong, like, that's and it. that's when your message resonates, you know, especially when that kid knew that he could, his ass could be kicked. He listened to every single damn word, man. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, he had some bear paws on him. I don't think he ever... <laughs> he's from Belgium. He never felt a handle like that before. Yeah, no, that's... That was some, that was some old school Southern Baptist bear paws that's on him. the greatest statement of strength is... Uh, I. It's funny. You reminded me of a story. I, one time when I was in Providence, where I also have encountered the worst of, the worst of policing... Mm-hmm. But in this case, I took a left turn that was illegal, and yeah. I didn't realize there's a cop behind me. And yeah. he fucking got on the horn, and he's like, "Okay, back it up. That's an illegal turn. Back it up and go straight, like everybody else." The fucking guy didn't give me a ticket. He just wow. embarrassed me and made <laughs> me go the right way. And lesson. Let me tell you. Lesson, lesson learned. learned. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you didn't give me a ticket, I would have been taking that fucking turn next time I came through there, man. It's all about shaming. Yeah. And That's what it's power, about. It's when you have the power and you don't and you don't abuse it. That's why uh that's why the preacher left uh, Bill the Butcher alive at the beginning of Gangs in New York, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. This outro is getting too long and ridiculous. All right. Let's go get drunk, huh? Chuck, is, his socials are super easy. We don't, I mean, we don't even need to tell you what they are. They're his fucking name. Yeah. And uh, look him up, and, especially if you want to see some pretty fish. Yeah, for sure. And new music coming, too. But we'll, we'll deal with that in part two. Um, and uh, ours, ours is all the same. Go to goingofftrack.com and you can f- get links there to our Patreon account. You get links to giving us money on Venmo if you're interested. Um, thanks to all our patrons and yeah, our Venmo fans. And uh, and thank you for all of you who are listening because yeah. we're doing it for you. Much appreciate. Brad posted a naked picture of me on Patreon the other day. So that's your <laughs> that's your thing. Sign on up, you know? I'm not going to deny that that did happen. I was hot. (laughs) Can I say? I was hot. All right. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I hope you come back for part two. It's going to be even more fun. (laughs) 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.